The scripture lesson this morning is found in the book of Acts, the first chapter, the first 11 verses. In the first book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus did and taught from the beginning until the day when He was taken up to heaven after giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom He had chosen. After His suffering, He presented Himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While staying with them, He ordered them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait there for the promise of the Father. This, He said, is what you have heard from Me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they asked Him, Lord, is this the time when You will restore the kingdom to Israel? And He replied, It is not for you to know the times or periods that the Father has set by His own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth." When he had said this, as they were watching, he was lifted up, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, and they were gazing up toward heaven, suddenly two men in white robes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up toward heaven? This Jesus, who has been taken up from you into heaven, will come in the same way as you saw him go into heaven. Let's repeat one verse. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Let us pray. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening this day. Amen. We affirmed our faith this morning with the Apostles' Creed. It's a very familiar creed. Most of you probably are able to recite it without looking at your bulletin. Some parts are very, very familiar. Other parts are a little more obscure. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. The third day, He rose from the dead semicolon. What comes next is often sort of skipped over for me, maybe without much of a thought. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. Today is Ascension Sunday. Today is a day when we give our attention to the Scripture of the Ascension. And as we affirmed our faith this morning, we declared it to be true, that Christ ascended into heaven. He also gave instructions that day as He was looking at them uh, basically for the last time in that way. And He said to them, You shall be My witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So we have a job to do. And Christ has said to us our number one job as He departs from us, as He ascends to the Father, is that your life and my life will make a difference on His behalf in this world. That in what you say and in what you do and in what you don't say and in what you don't do, in all of your life, moment to moment to moment, you are a witness. And we are either making that witness count 
in a holy and sacred and encouraging and loving and faithful and hopeful way, or we are not. And so we give consideration today as to what it means to, to be a witness. Have you ever fumbled your witness? Have you ever just messed it up? In football, a fumble is a turnover. It means you give the ball over to the other team. And turnovers can cause you to lose games. In 1999, officials said that Jasper Sykes fumbled at the goal line, which we all know he did not. And we knew the only way that Tech could gain that victory was for the officials to help them out. So in their mercy and in their grace, they helped Tech out that day, and we came away with a defeat. And I know that's all kind of nonsense, but it is to illustrate that we all fumble. And sometimes we fumble important things much more important than a football. We fumble uh, in, our, in our witness. The Pharisees were known for certain things. Uh, some of them literally were called bleeding Pharisees because whenever they passed a woman, no matter where they were, they would close their eyes. They would not look upon that woman because women were considered less than. Very gracious way, very loving way to behave uh, toward God's creation. And as a result of closing their eyes, they would bump into things. And sometimes they would bruise them themselves or bloody their... You don't think it's true, do you? You're not looking like you're convinced. You're like Monica who used to tell me, Dad, was that true or was that just preaching? <laughs> and I would say, child, child, child. You, that was true. Preaching and truth are inseparable. <laughs> Fred Craddock was asked if all of his stories were true. He said, all of my stories have truth in them. <laughs> right? Then there were tumbling Pharisees. True again. They attempted to show their humility by not lifting their feet off the ground. So they would drag their feet along in an effort to show everyone how righteous they were, how humble they were. And they were an ineffective witness as a result of that because half the time they were falling down as they were attempting to walk without lifting their feet off the ground. So we all know that the Pharisees are the group in the New Testament who are consistently criticized for a kind of empty righteousness, a sort of self-righteousness. They knew very little about loving, but they knew a whole lot about judging. And sometimes if we're not careful, uh, we will fumble our witness just like uh, the Pharisees did. It, it's not just something uh, that, is, that is true for uh, the community of faith. It's certainly true in my life. I have fumbled my witness. R Frederick Beekner is one of my favorite, if not my favorite author. Here's what he writes about preachers. There is perhaps no better proof for the existence of God than the way year after year God survives the way His professional friends promote Him. Yeah, we can be the worst witnesses at times. Sometimes we fumble our witness. Karl Barth, who was one of the brilliant theological minds of the 20th century, his commentary on Romans is the best. His five volumes on Christian dogmatics is outstanding, even though it's unfinished. He was on a cover of the cover of Time magazine in 1962 because he influenced theologically not only the church, but he influenced the culture and society. 
He said, we lose ourselves in empty piety and ignore our primary witness. We lose ourselves in empty piety. The Pharisees lost themselves in this emptiness that meant nothing. And as a result, they ignored their primary task, which was to be an effective witness for Christ in this world. Have you ever fumbled your witness? I had a I'm not going to say that. I'm not. I'm going to tell you something else. What does it mean to be a witness? We associate it with talking. Sometimes that's the way to be a kind of empty vessel. I'll never forget one Friday night I received a call from someone letting me know that a young teenager in our church had been life-flighted from Peachtree City to Piedmont in Atlanta. His parents were out of town. They were in Nashville. They had been notified and they were making their way from Nashville. But they had called me to see if I would go to the hospital. It was late at night, and I remember getting out of the bed and putting clothes on and driving immediately down to Piedmont. Two young men had been involved in the accident. The parents had enjoyed the birth of this child later in life. He was their only child. They had tried for years and years and years to have a child and had been unsuccessful. And finally, uh, he came into the world. He was a great kid. And they were a wonderful family. And I remember driving to Piedmont that night hoping against hope that he would, he would be alive. When I arrived at Piedmont and asked, they sent me to a room and there was a woman in the room, just the two of us. It was past midnight. And I sat down. I did not know her. And she asked me who I was and I said that I was uh, this young man's pastor. And she said, I am the mother of the other boy. And she said, my son is alive, but the young man that is in your church who is my son's best friend, he's been killed in the accident. We just sat there in silence for about 30 minutes until a doctor came into that room. And he knew her because he had been in previously and seen her. And he asked me, who are you? And I named the name of the young man and I said, I am 
the pastor for his family. And he said, can you come with me for a moment? And I walked out into the hallway and he looked at me and he said, Pastor, we don't have any identification for either one of these boys. One of them is dead. And the other is upstairs receiving scans. And we need for you to tell us whether or not the young man you know is the young man in that room. And so we walked together into the room where they had brought the young man and it looked like a trauma center. Towels, blood soaked. And there lay this body on this gurney with a sheet over it. He and I walked over to that gurney and he lifted that sheet back. And it was not the young man in our congregation. It was the son of that mom in that room who believed her son had survived. He said, well, you haven't made a positive identification of who this is, but let us go upstairs and see if you can identify the young man upstairs. So we went upstairs and they took me to the scanning machine and the young man in our church uh, was there and I said, this is the young man. So we had identified one, but we still had to positively identify the other. So the doctor and I came from downstairs and walked back into that room. And we told that mom that her son was dead. the doctor left and I sat beside this stranger, this devastated mother. Sometimes your witness is having enough love to just be in it. She just wept bitterly. The doctor came back and asked if she would go in and see her son. They had cleaned him up and put him in another area. And she said she couldn't. She couldn't do it. Her husband was out of town. He was on his way. And she said he should be here soon. 
So she and I sat in that waiting room and waited. Thirty minutes passed, I guess, and he walked in and they hugged and wept and she said, I could not go in and identify our son. You have to do that. And that father turned to me and he said, will you go with me? We didn't know each other. That wasn't his pastor. Uh, And I said, yes, I will. And we walked in and again, there's this sheet-covered body there. And he pulls the cover back and he says words I will never forget. That is my son. That is my boy. We have a responsibility in the worst moments of life. In the darkest moments of life. To be in it with others. To be a witness I don't even think I said anything. But can we stand with others and at least be a presence of love and faithfulness? I would have rather been anywhere in the world that night. But you and I have a responsibility to be with people, to stand with them, and to at least be an example of tenderness and mercy and grace. Sometimes we think it's so important what we say and we feel like we may not have the right words. You tell me what the right words are. You tell me what the right words are because I do not have them. You tell me what I should have said to make it all better in that moment. There aren't any words for that. You don't have them and I don't have them. But do we love enough to be there? By golly, we better. We better. Being a witness isn't complicated, it's just hard. 
But you and I are called to do it. If we're not careful, we can, we can fumble it. Have you ever forfeited your witness? You just gave it away. You just gave up because it was uncomfortable or you just didn't want to. Or maybe you didn't like the person. You didn't care enough maybe to even be a witness. You just were so worn out with them. And, and so sometimes we become frustrated with each other and disappointed in each other because somebody believes something that we don't believe or somebody espouses something that we don't agree with. And so uh, we just forfeit the witness. I can't take it anymore. I read a story this week about the Church of God Grill. Supposedly he's in Atlanta. Never heard of it. Paul Kahn wrote a book about it. Church of God Grill. You know what it used to be? A church of God. And after Sunday services, they started selling chicken dinners. And they sold them like hotcakes. They made good money for the church. So you know what they decided to do? They decided to stop being a church and start being a restaurant. So now they're called the Church of God Grill. They decided that the witness was not significant enough, but the being a chicken dinner grill on Monday through Saturday and Sunday was a better option for them. So they forfeited their witness. I had a teacher in seminary who served a church in North Carolina. It was his first one. He said he came back with his Ph.D. from Edinburgh and he was just going teach the masses. He said there was a farmer in the church and his barn burned down and they needed to... felt like they needed to help the farmer. So he gathered money from the church and on a particular day he went out to the farmer's home and he said he looked through the screen door and he saw him sitting in the living room. He knocked on the door and to his surprise... The farmer got up and came out and shoved the door so hard coming out that he knocked him over and he said he had this paper bag filled with money and he dropped it on the porch and coins went everywhere and he said he finally was trying to get up and he said the guy took a swing at him and hit him upside the head and continued to swing at him and he made it to his car and he said just as I opened the door to my car and was getting in, he kicked me in the seat of my pants the indignity of indignities. And he said, I drove off not knowing what in the world I had done. I didn't understand that man. I didn't understand that community. I had not even attempted to understand that man. To get a sense of what he felt and what he thought and how this might be received. But he said, every time I would see that red truck for the next two weeks, the hair on the back of my neck would stand up. And he said, one day I pulled into the gas station. It was in the days when you had those things. And he said, a guy came out and was filling my tank up. And I looked over in the parking lot, and that farmer's red truck was right over there, and he was sitting in it, drinking a cup of coffee. And I couldn't take it any longer. And he said, I walked over to that truck. The window was down, and I said, Mister, if I ever get wiped out on Jesus, I'm coming for you. You're first on my list. And he said, I walked away, and I felt better gotten it off my chest. And he said, I got back in my car and I drove to church. He said, three days later, the wife of that farmer came to me and she said, you and my 
husband had a conversation the other day and I want to thank you for it. And he said, really? And she said, yes, because I don't know what you said to him, but whatever you said, it's like he had a huge load lifted off his back. You see, when you came by with a bag of money that day and all that happened for the next two weeks, he couldn't sleep. He tossed and he turned and he tossed and he turned and he tossed and he turned. He was upset. But when y'all had that encounter at the gas station, whatever you said, that night he came home and he slept like a baby. And he slept all night ever since. Do you understand what I'm trying to say to you? You see, he had, he had no sense of who that farmer was. He had no sense about the pride of that man. He had not gone and asked permission to help him fund the rebuilding of his barn. He had never had a conversation about that to explain what that meant. He just went and did it because he thought it was a good idea. But he forfeited his witness because he had that farmer thinking, what is it about that preacher that led him not to fight back? What is it about that preacher that allowed me to kick him in the seat of his pants? And he never took a swing at me. But when old Dr. Tuttle walked over to that pickup that day and said, if I ever get wiped out on Jesus, I'm coming for you. He let him off the hook. He didn't need to agonize over that kind of love anymore because he knew the preacher was just like him. Every moment of every day, you and I are a witness. How's that working out? It's not a choice we have. It just is what it is. How's that working out for you? Our witness elevates Christ. You can know that you are a faithful witness when whatever you're doing, whatever you're thinking, whatever you're saying elevates Christ. We gathered here this week to celebrate the life of Hank Huckabee. And I stood here in front of the family and I said this, Hank was a true believer. His witness never wavered. And then I told a story about Andrew Young. Andrew Young said that one summer his daughter came home from college and she said to her dad, Dad, I want to go to Uganda and be a missionary. And he said, sweetie, you can be a missionary here in Atlanta. You don't need to go to Africa to be a missionary. You can do it right here in your hometown. And she said, yeah, I know, Dad, but I don't think God's calling me to Atlanta. I think God's calling me to Uganda. And he said, well, he said, sweetheart, he said, Uganda's a dangerous place. And she said, Dad, Atlanta's sort of a dangerous place too. And he said, you could get killed in Uganda. And she said, Dad, I can get killed in Atlanta. It happens almost every day. So he gave his blessing. Took her to the airport and he said he stood there and watched her plane take off from Africa. And here's what he thought. Andrew Young, a preacher. I raised my daughter to be a Christian. 
took her to Sunday school, preached to her every week on Sunday morning. I wanted her to grow up, and I wanted her to be a respectable Christian. But I never imagined she would become a real one. I told that story because Hank Huckabee was a real one. He was a witness to me. He accepted the responsibility of that. He lived it. He was kind and he was good and he was trustworthy and he was faithful. He showed me mercy and forgiveness and grace whenever I was in his presence. He loved this place. And he was a light shining through this place year after year after year. Your time will come and so will mine. Make sure you give the preacher enough material that the people of God can gather in this place and celebrate your life. And they can honestly say, you lived it. You lived it. Every morning you woke and you lived in such a way that people saw Christ in you. He ascended into heaven and sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. But before He did, He said to you and to me, you shall be my witnesses. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Would you please stand for the benediction? Every Sunday, it seems like forever, I've had to give instructions at this time. So the benediction should be listed as instructions for the congregation. But it's not. I don't even know what to say to you this morning because I can see your face. And I haven't seen anybody's face but my family's. My wife's here. Penny, I can't even see your face because you got the mask on. Uh, I think you can use all the aisles. I think you should give our ushers a chance at least to be helpful to you. Those are my instructions. <laughs> Go to serve God and your neighbor in all that you do. Bear witness to the love of God in this world so that those to whom love is a stranger may find in you a generous friend. And may the love of God and the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the presence of His Holy Spirit be with you today and always. Amen.